Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're in Torah study number 7 in Genesis 28. Uh, through Genesis 32, and uh, this among many topics, uh, one of the key topics uh, this week uh, is all about Jacob and his ladder. And so we're uh, talking today about Jacob and the power of a dream. Amen? But before uh, we get into that, let's continue to remember Israel in prayer. Uh, They're still at war, but as you might have seen over the weekend, there was a release of uh, many hostages. Praise be to God. Innocent people taken, uh, kidnapped and taken hostage. You might remember Pastor Larry wore that t-shirt last week uh, with the picture of the two uh, babies, uh, Avi and Raz, who were kidnapped and held hostage uh, since October 7th. That's a long time for a little kids. Uh, Any time is horrible, but uh, anyways, Uh, They were released. They were part of the original hostage release. Pastor met with the aunt and the uncle while he went uh, into that war zone. He asked me to go, and I cashed in my wimp card. Pastor, I don't jump out of airplanes. I don't go into war zones. It's just how I roll. But there's still innocent uh, victims held hostage against their will that need to be returned. Uh, There's nearly 5,000 families uh, whose loved ones were either killed or injured uh, by the Hamas massacre. Uh, So we keep them in prayer, amen, and we pray for a quick and decisive resolution that Israel would have victory over its enemies, amen. Let me give you a couple quick talking points. Uh, There already was a ceasefire on October 5th, yeah, so October 6th is when the uh, massacre happened or excuse me, October 7th, on October 6th, there was a ceasefire. Uh, Hamas broke the ceasefire, so to speak. So let's get that straight. You don't start a war and then get to decide, I don't want a war anymore. It's not how war works. It's an ugly thing and an ugly business. But uh, to hear protesters demand a ceasefire... uh, you don't start something and then uh, call time out. No, that's not how war works. Um, talking point, uh, Gaza was unoccupied by Israel and occupied by Arabs since 2005. They could have turned the Gaza Strip, which has this million-dollar beachfront property. They could have turned it into another Dubai if they had wanted. wonder why they didn't do that. 
Because they used all the foreign aid not to build beautiful places for their people to enjoy and live a beautiful and abundant life. They built weapon systems and tunnels. And, they, and what we don't realize, talking point, why does Hamas have billionaires that live in luxury abroad? Where'd they get billions? They don't have industry. They don't have any oil. It's not like they're in Saudi Arabia and they've got oil being pumped. Where did they get the money from all the foreign aid that was stolen? And they spent it on weapons. Talking point. Hamas doesn't have a problem using human shields. And when you hear about children, oh, the children... These are 13, 15, 17, 18-year-old kids that have been trained. When you and I went to summer camp, we were riding horses, doing arts and crafts, and uh, uh, learning uh, all about uh, sports and uh, the Bible. Uh, Did did you know that the so-called Palestinian kids, when they go to camp, they learn how to become terrorists? That's their summer camp. And so they build their stuff under hospitals, under schools, so that uh, uh, they're shielded from attack. What army in the world drops leaflets and makes hundreds of phone calls? We're coming in in 48 hours. You better get out of there. Who does that? Did Russia do that when they attacked Ukraine? I don't think so. We remember Rome changed uh, the name of Israel to Palestine out of the same hatred that Hamas has today. That's when it became Palestine. It was a Roman idea. It wasn't an Arab idea. In fact, the Palestinian people were never called Palestinians until 1964. Protesters, that's all the history you have? 1964? We'll get into that here in just a minute. But uh, Israel's history in Israel, in the Holy Land, the Promised Land, goes back 4,000 years. Not 60 years or 59 years. Before 1964, there was no Palestinian people. If anything, the Jews were the Palestinians because they were from Palestine, which was Israel, and then became Israel again in 1948. Uh, People don't realize Hamas is in the Bible. Uh, And it's associated with God destroying uh, uh, the earth through the flood because it had become so Hamas, violent. That's the word for Hamas in the Bible, violence. Hamas was founded in 1987 and is an arm of the Muslim Brotherhood. And, you know, America has founding documents, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What's Hamas's founding documents? Kill the Jews. That's your founding document? Kill the Jews? That's why you exist, to kill the Jews? Yeah. When you hear river to the sea, 
From the river to the sea, from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River, what is that telling you? It's telling you that anybody in between the Jewish people living in the Holy Land, the Promised Land, have to go. We're either going to drive them out or kill them. And they showed what they'll do on October 7th. So Israel needs our prayers and support, and they're getting it. Amen? Amen. Talking points to set the record straight. And, uh, and so as we move into the study of today's Torah portion, uh, we're looking into the life of Jacob. And uh, Jacob is next in line to oversee the covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, he has a twin brother, Esau who despised his spiritual roots, can come from the same family, and one, one part of your family loves God, and another part of your family just despises it. I don't want nothing to do with it. This is Esau. So Jacob and his mama, Rebecca, Rivka, conspired to deceive the father, Isaac, into taking Esau's firstborn blessing and giving it to Jacob. What they never really understood, and we can't teach this today, is that Isaac had two blessings. He had one for Esau and one for Jacob. And the one that he was going to give Jacob had to do with the covenant of Abraham. The one that he had for Esau was strictly a material, financial, physical blessing. But Jacob gets them both, and we'll get into more of that next week, maybe. But uh, Esau is furious. And so Jacob has to run for his life. You stole the firstborn blessing, you're going to pay for it, brother Jacob. So Jacob is on the run, and he sets out towards Haran, which many believe, some believe it's in the Iraq area, others believe it's up in the Turkey area, Haran. Uh, But in Haran is some of his family. And the family there is run by Uncle Laban. And what Jacob doesn't know is Laban is a master swindler. His whole life is built on cheating, deceiving, and manipulating. And in exile, he's there for 20 years in exile. You talk about dysfunction. This is one of the reasons God says don't become unequally yoked with unbelievers. Some in the Christian world have too much of their heart and soul wrapped up with unbelievers. And if, if anything, that's going to make your life a mess. How come I can't move forward? Because you're entangled and unequally yoked. You're tied into a group that doesn't believe like you. And so that makes you double-minded. And a double-minded woman, a double-minded man, the Bible says, is unstable. Things don't work out the way you want them to work out when you roll that way. So Jacob learns a little bit about sowing and reaping. If you keep sowing into dysfunction, you're going to reap dysfunction. 
And so, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here this morning early, learning about the Bible, and God uses these moments, these times, this commitment that you've made to help you work out your salvation and make some decisions to get things right. Sometimes you, you just got to make a choice. I'm, I'm going to handle this thing God's way. It doesn't feel right to me, but God didn't say walk by your feelings. He said to walk by faith in my word. Yeah. So, so before all of that goes down, Jacob sets out on this journey into this exile And he ends up at Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And this is the place where his daddy, Isaac, was bound as a sacrificial offering. This is the place that would become the future site uh, of the holy temple for the Jewish people. This is where uh, the tabernacle of David, the temple, served as the house for God's Shekinah glory. For a thousand years. And the Bible teaches that when the Messiah returns, he's going to rule and reign from this sacred spot for another thousand years. That that day is coming soon. That's the Sabbath millennium, the seventh 1,000 year period, the Sabbath period, thousand years of ruling and reigning. And you and I will be ruling and reigning with him, right? You're a believer, right? You have a hope and an expectation uh, that something good is going to come out of all of this madness. Yeah, you're going to take your rightful place in the army of the Lord and rule and reign. So Jacob, on his journey out of Israel, God leads him here. And he lays down his head on this sacred spot, and it's estimated to be 1928-ish B.C. So it's over 1900, maybe up to 2,000 years before Christ. This is when uh, Israel uh, is connected to the Holy Land. It's 2,600 years before the Islamic and Muslim armies captured and occupied Jerusalem. So 2,600 years before there was even a Mohammed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were connected to Mount Moriah. The famous gold dome on the rock, That wasn't built until 691 A.D., 691 years after Jesus was born. Mohammed invented Islam, and they built the Dome on the Rock. What a lot of people don't realize is that where Jacob lays his head in this Torah study this week, uh, that spot was legitimately purchased by King David. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 22. 
A thousand years before Jesus, King David gave 60 shekels of gold to Ornan to pay for the temple mound. All it was at that point was a threshing floor, a threshing field. So a thousand years before Jesus, uh, almost 1,700 years before Muhammad and Islam, David bought that legally. Bought and paid for in a legal real estate transaction. And as far as the world history shows, it was never sold. Never sold. It still belongs to Israel. And all of that counters the accusation that Israel is occupying the land. How can you occupy something that belongs to you? You've seen lately these stories about squatters that come into an Airbnb or a vacant home and you can't get them out. <laughs> they're not even paying rent. And the police, and they're, they're squatting. There's been a lot of squatters. Come to the Holy Land, the Greeks, the Syrians, the Romans, the Muslims, the Christians, and the Ottoman Turks that we heard so much about with Pastor Larry for 400 years. The Ottoman Turks ruled that area from 1517 to 1917. There were no international boundaries. Israel, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, all of that. There was no lines that showed them as nations. 400 years worth. Today, the so-called Palestinian claim that this is our land. That claim only started 60 years ago. Yasser Arafat the founder of the terrorist group, Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, he was the one that invented all of that, he and his cronies. But a lot of people bought into that, intentionally ignoring and disregarding international law and historic fact. So it's on this holy ground that Jacob lays down to sleep and he has a prophetic dream. He dreams of angels ascending and descending between heaven and earth on a great ladder. And it's symbolic of many things. It's symbolic of our prayer. It's symbolic of God's angelic army being dispatched to be a blessing to the ministering uh, their ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation you're an heir to salvation and you have guardian angels and they are ascending and descending knowing the will of god and trying to do their best to keep you on course don't mess that up <laughs> scott don't mess that up There are a lot of things you could do to mess that up. Don't do it. Just say no. So while Jacob's there, God reaffirms his promise that he made to Abraham and to Isaac. Uh, And the key promise there is that the land of Israel would be the eternal home of the Jewish people. All right. Now this is uh, almost... uh, 4,000 years ago. 
So all these Johnny-come-latelys with their claims, sorry, we got the title deed thousands of years before you even knew anything about Jerusalem. And God assures Jacob that as part of this dream, this covenant, that you're going to be a father of the great nation of Israel and that my divine anointing will protect you whatever you do. And so Jacob wakes up. And the first thing that he says is recorded in Genesis 28:17. And he responds by saying, "How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven." Wow. Come on. What a feeling. Oh, what a feeling. So, Uh, In that moment, he builds a memorial altar. And he makes a covenant pledge. From this day forward, everything that I do, I'm going to make sure, Lord, that you get 10% of everything I do. Now, it's fascinating because this is the first dream recorded in the Bible. And just like Jacob, those of you that have experienced that Uh, uh, the presence of God through the form of a dream, uh, it's what you need, it's what Jacob needed, and it's what you and I need to move forward into our destiny. Amen? The dream's filled with destiny. And dreams are meant to inspire us, guide us, and motivate us. It's something we hang on to as part of a, our mission statement, our calling for life. Because there's going to be times when you need to seriously overcome. Right? America, in many ways, we have it a lot better than a lot of other nations. Because we were founded as one nation under God. But even in the midst of being in a blessed nation, uh, Personally, we still have things we need to overcome. Tragedy strikes. Different things happen that bring discouragement and disappointment. But those things are what the devil uses to try to derail you from finishing your race, from running the course. And suddenly people get focused on the problem and not the promise. And that's why God invented church and wants fellowship. Don't forsake getting together with people of faith. Not people that are just believers. I mean, that's good. But what about disciples? People that really know the will of God and the purposes of God, the plans of God. You know, sometimes you got to give up to go up. If I'm going to get to where God wants me to be, I'm going to have to give up some stuff. And that should be okay. But for many, it's a struggle. God doesn't want you to struggle with that. Amen. He's given you His Word, His promises, the Holy Spirit, and probably a dream. Right? One reason God showed Jacob a ladder is is that a ladder is something you climb. And it's associated more than just God always doing it. God, do something! Yeah, we want God to do things. And He is doing things. But, 
it's showing us that we need to be active participants in the will of God. Okay? We don't just sit back and wait for God to do it all. Two-thirds of God's name is go. Get going, believer. Get doing something. That doesn't always come easy, right? I understand that. Just because I'm in the ministry doesn't mean I get an exemption card from trouble. But if we're all going to get past the painful memories, the ungodly attacks, the powers and principalities trying to derail us, we're going to have to lean on some spiritual things. Lean on the Word. Lean on the Spirit of God and lean on what God has spoken to you in a dream or a vision. Amen? And it's the power of that dream that will keep you alive and kicking. Any old dead fish can float downstream, but God doesn't want you to be any old dead fish floating downstream. He wants you to be alive and kicking going upstream. Because that's where... New things are birthed. We all have something in common with Jacob. When we gave our lives to the Lord, God instilled things within us that could be considered a dream. Did He not instill in you and I the dream of everlasting life? Did He not instill in you and I this vision of eternity? Hallelujah. If all Jesus did was die on the cross and guarantee you a spot in heaven, if you would love Him and serve Him and receive His forgiveness, and that's all. You you got eternal life, you don't get abundant life. You still couldn't praise Him enough. (laughs) Right? You get a bum deal until the sweet by and by. That's your lot. And some churches teach that. Man, I'd hate to be in that church. God loves me so much. He planted me in a church that has this kind of vision. This kind of understanding of God's plan and purposes. I would hate to be in a church today that teaches don't expect miracles. Don't expect nothing good to happen. You just got to accept your lot in life as if you were in Las Vegas rolling dice. And that's in the church. Divine calling for all of us. And that divine calling started when you said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of every sin, break every curse, and connect me to every blood-bought promise and help me walk in the ways of God. And from there, being a faithful steward, God will reveal more. And He may reveal more to you in a dream, like Jacob has a dream. He's asleep and dreams this. And there's also visions. In the last days, I will pour out upon the older men dreams. They'll dream dreams and the young men will see visions. 
Abraham learned of his destiny through dreams and visions. Jacob's life this week drastically changed through this dream of Jacob's ladder. God spoke to Joseph through dreams and interpretations of dreams. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, among many of the prophets that were visited by God with divine revelation through visions and dreams. We're getting into the Christmas season. Joseph had a dream about the birth of Yeshua, Jesus, and about what you need to name Yeshua, Jesus. The wise men were warned in a dream about King Herod's plans and plot. Saul became Paul and had a life-changing vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. Are we establishing that dreams and visions are something that God uses and uses a lot? Cornelius, the Roman, Gentile Roman centurion, had a dream about God's plan of salvation. Peter had a vision in Acts 10 where God was using a dream to explain the new move that would be taking place, revival amongst the Gentiles. And of course, the whole book of Revelation is given to John in a dream and a vision. And so he uses, the Lord uses dreams and visions to impart divine destiny. He uses it to establish ministry purpose. To direct us, even to warn us against impending danger. And it's meant to for something for you to lay hold of and and treasure and keep in your heart, so that you can be inspired and motivated when the going gets tough. Praise God! How we doing? Amen. Dreams and visions are basically the same, except a dream happens when you're asleep. And vision, uh, a vision generally refers to God speaking to you when you're awake and you receive this revelation while you're awake. That happened to me once. It's happened to me several times. But when it came to ministry, I'm just in the lobby of the church. And we had just been born again a, a short time, and God spoke to me. This was back like in 1986, and God spoke to me and said, I have called you to join the children's ministry and join this leader. Pledge your allegiance to him. And I did, and for nine years, we rock and roll for Jesus. And out of that, and that faithfulness, that stewardship, that commitment, that loyalty, that discipline, that devotion. Nine years later, we met, uh, Lydia and I met Pastor and Tiz, and we started a new journey with Pastor and Tiz in 1991, and now here we are in 2023. In either instance, dream or vision, God is wanting to lay the groundwork for His divine will in your life. 
And you'll never get past this. I know people want to, you know, it, it's not the will. It, it was the pepperoni pizza with the jalapeno peppers that you're feeling, not the will of God. Micah 1.1 1, 1, uh, tells us that it's the word of God that is established in your spirit that lays the groundwork for hearing the voice of God. In Micah 1.1, it says that the prophet saw the Word of God. See, when you build a relationship with Jesus, you're really building a relationship with the Word. I am the living Word of God. The Word became flesh. So studying the Word opens you up to spiritual revelation. And if it's a vision, it happens while you're awake. If it's a dream, it happens when you're asleep. Psalm 16.7. Look at Psalm 16.7. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Yeah. While you were sleeping. Did you see the movie? <laughs> while you were sleeping. It's important to pay attention to what you think as you're waking up. I got a, that's right, a, mm-hmm. Anybody else got something to add? Amen, say amen. It's just as you're waking up that God will often give you a specific thought. An idea will come to you. A direction for your life. It's something that solves a problem. It would eliminate some indecision. It'll be a creative clue. Ultimately, it's meant to help you move forward. So don't let those times come and go and uh, don't be McFly. That's what happened. That, that happens to me all the time. I, I'll, I, even this morning, I, I'm just starting to wake up, and uh, there's a part of you when you're still half asleep that's connected to the subconscious. And the Spirit of God is moving there. And it'll especially move when you're used to filling your life and your mind and your thoughts and your thinking on godly, godly, holy, righteous, biblical, moral things all the time and all the time. And in that situation, you wake up and you say, oh man, I see what I need to do here. It may not be some major thing, but it's enough to get you through the next day. God always speaks to me through everyday situations and surroundings. And you could say that that's a vision. And again, there's, there's life-changing, master, mission statement type things that happen. And, but yet there's the day-to-day stuff that God cares about too. And so you just have to pay attention. Right? We can afford we can't afford a lot of things, but we can afford to pay attention. The Bible describes how this happens in Proverbs twenty four. 
In Proverbs 24, verse 30, it said, I walked by the field of a certain lazy fellow and saw that it was overgrown with thorns. It was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken down. Then, as I looked, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little more Netflix, (laughs) a little folding of the hands to rest, means that poverty will break in upon you suddenly like a robber and violently like a bandit. So, everyday situations... God speaking to Solomon through this real-life situation. It wasn't a burning bush. It wasn't a supernatural encounter like Jacob's dream. He's just passing by a field. And he sees all of this with, a, with spiritual eyes. And that's what happened to me back in the 80s in the lobby of our first church up in Seattle. And it spoke to me at that point about a ministry calling. And it wasn't, you know, 500, 1,000 words. It was just a few words. But I knew it was God. It was almost audible to me. But not everything's meant to be a major mission statement. But there's steps along the way that every person has to learn to take. One step at a time is a biblical idea. I want to take the elevator to the top. No, you got to take a ladder. <laughs> and you got to hit every step on that ladder on your way to spiritual success and material success and family success. And there's lessons to be learned. I find that a lot of lessons I learn are in the shower. Step into my personal mikvah, my shower, and all of a sudden uh, uh, there's a washing of the water uh, and the word, and all of a sudden it's a, this is a mikvah, the power of the mikvah, the power of baptism. And I get direction and clarity about where to focus my efforts. There's a lot of things going on. Every one of you could do a thousand and one different things. God wants to show you how to focus on the uh, important things, not just the urgent things. Why is when the phone rings, you have to stop everything you're doing and answer the phone? Why do you let that happen? Well, the phone is ringing. Well, they they can wait. (laughs) You're doing something for God. They can wait. You're having an important discussion. Oh, someone's calling a... No, someone, whoever's calling can wait. Not everything that's uh, uh, urgent is important. And God is wanting to show you how to distinguish between the high-value things, the top priorities, and the low-value things, the not-so-much priorities. And He'll do that even like today in praise and worship. It may be happening to you right now. God will use many ways. But praise and worship just isn't, you know, oh, what a mighty God. Praise and worship is a time I inhabit the praises. So you got to find a way to enter in. If you're not finding a way to enter into the presence and Spirit of God during praise and worship, that's a hindrance to your growth. 
Because in the spirit realm, you'll hear things. Because you'll have your spirit. Do you got your ears on, good buddy? <laughs> There's always balance. Ecclesiastes 5.7. Go over to Ecclesiastes 5.7. Uh, and Solomon says, don't base your life on dreams alone. And in verse 7 it says, daydreaming and excessive talking are pointless. And fleeting things to do. Like trying to catch hold of a breath. What good comes from them? It is better to quietly reverence God. So we're being taught here that just being a daydreamer who lives on wishful thinking isn't enough. It's good to have that dream. It's good to have these creative ideas circulating in your imagination. But you can't be all talk and no action. Jacob had a dream, and it showed him that there was some action. You're going to have to climb a ladder, son. And he responds when he wakes up quickly. He builds an altar. Sometimes somebody just needs to put some money in God's hands when you have an encounter with the Lord. Lord, I am sowing this like Jacob sowed this towards my destiny, towards my dream, towards my future. Why? Because money talks and the rest of it walks. <laughs> He made some covenant commitments right there, right? And then he went on in 20 years of exile, building a family, building financial security, overcoming hardship. It took 20 years for a lot of the dream to come to pass. And it's showing us that our dreams are not just automatic. A word of prophecy, a dream, a vision isn't just automatic. It speaks more to the potential that God has for your life rather than a guarantee that it's going to happen. Because if you don't get your hands dirty, if you don't roll up your sleeves in prayer, if, if you don't get to transition from being a believer, a John 3.16 Christian, into a disciple of Christ Christian, a lot of that stuff is just going to be potential. So your job, my job, our job, faithful stewardship, which you're doing today. This is called faithful stewardship. And many of you are faithful because you have passed the test of time. I was faithful once. Honey, I've been, I've been 90% faithful in our marriage. No. No. And so, yeah, the church needs to talk about taking personal responsibility. Right? Stop blaming the devil. Stop blaming your boss. Stop blaming people. Stop blaming, blaming, blaming. There's probably a, you're stuck at a certain uh, part of the ladder and you're not willing to take the next step. Well, I don't want to take that next step of personal growth, Lord. No, Lord. 
once we get in our, and you've, you've got this rolling in your favor, yeah, I, I've got to have personal development taking place in my life. I've got to continually seek for a spiritual equipping in my life. I'm 69 years old and been in ministry since 1987, 86, 87. I don't like, okay, I'm going to take a, sabbat- I'm going to take a year's sabbatical from God. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm not even going to take a day sabbatical. <laughs> Yesterday, I did watch a lot of football. <laughs> But I woke up very early and got in my three hours of study. Which means training. Put yourself in the master's degree program. Master, what do you need? What do you expect? All right, so let's wrap this up real quick. Here are some practical ways to help you know if a dream is from God. Yeah. A God-given dream never contradicts God's word. God is never going to say something to you personally that is contrary to his word. So your dream always has to include a set of corresponding biblical values. And those biblical values govern your decisions and govern your behavior. So in the excitement of receiving a dream it's import, or a word of prophecy is you always have to countercheck what you're hearing with the Bible. This is why a healthy understanding of biblical principles and values is important. I had a sign in my front yard, uh, Vote Biblical Values. And a neighbor came by and says, you don't really believe that, do you? And that person was an elder in the church. And he's questioning whether or not I really believe biblical value. Well, of course I do. Well, you don't believe everything. That's a, I said, I, I don't believe that I followed Judas and who went out and hung himself. I don't believe that part's for me. If you're not sure, ask. (laughs) Okay, ask. Yeah. Number two, examine the amount of influence your dream is having over you. Right? Does the dream have any effect on your behavior, on your actions? Is it something real strong in your heart? Or, yeah, I think about it, you know, every now and then. You need to differentiate between a dream and a vision and wishful thinking. If you have a a dream and it's from God, His presence is always going to be with you. It'll be like a divine compass directing your life. The steps of righteous women and men are ordered of the Lord. How do I keep finding myself in all of these negative situations? Because you got your eyes on the wrong stuff. You should always have a growing responsibility 
toward the dream if it's something that God gave you. Time doesn't diminish what God showed you. 20 years later, you could still hang out. Jacob hung on to that thing 20 years before things really got rolling. You begin to realize, this is what I was born to do. That's a good feeling. And you're willing to give things up in order to go up with God. I don't know what you might need to give up. It's not just for 40 days of Lent. (laughs) It might be having to give something up for the rest of your life. Might have to to be given up uh, being unequally yoked with people in your life that don't share your biblical worldview. Doesn't mean you can't love them and pray for them. But like, do you have to go out uh, every Friday night with them and hit the spots? Share your dream, number three, with someone you trust as a spiritual mentor. The Bible says there's wisdom, there's counsel when you talk to qualified biblical leaders. Amen? And number four, listen for the counsel and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah talked about this in Jeremiah 33. Ask me. And I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about the things to come. Ask me, says the Lord. And I'm going to tell you some remarkable secrets about your life, your destiny, your future, about things you have no way of knowing that are out there. And I'm going to show you those things because I'm a gracious Father, a good God, and my plan for you is good. I want you filled with hope and faith and love, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the things of God. And that's God's wisdom and prayer over you today.